Welcome to The Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Lawrence Fetterman to the podcast. With more than 20 years of international corporate leadership experience, Lawrence is passionate about helping Western companies succeed in China. He currently serves as founder and CEO of Asia Advisors, a service that creates bespoke teams of professionals helping American businesses grow in Asia. Lawrence, welcome to the Power of Digital Policy. I imagine that your perspectives are in high demand these days with businesses who are already in China, a little bit nervous around the coronavirus and those looking to make the leap into China, hesitating for a moment. What are your thoughts on the headlines and the seeming panic that we're seeing? Yeah, you know, it's first of all, I'd say it's it's totally understandable, Um, you know, but I think first we need to remember that this is a humanitarian tragedy um, for those who are affected. And our priority needs to focus on saving lives and and doing everything we can to stop the spread of the virus. You know, we need to remember that these are people and and that we all share this world and and we're all in it together um, um, with something like this. But I also, but having said all that, I don't think uh, fear is not a strategy. Um, Fear is never a strategy. And what I try to tell clients um, is that, um, you know, no business, no company, no business can afford not to be engaged in China. Um, And if you're not engaged in China, then your competitors probably will, and then you're at a disadvantage. So um, I lived in China during the SARS outbreak in 2002 and 2003, so I have experience in this area. And I think what I try to tell clients is you really want to think about where where we want to be after the coronavirus, because, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later, but this will pass. And where do you want to be with your employees in China if you're already in China? Where do you want to be with your suppliers in China? Where do you want to be with your partners in China? And where do you want to be with your customers in China? So I think we need to think about after the coronavirus. So, for example, as I said, I was in Hong Kong during SARS. And I, uh, I worked for a multinational American-based uh, software company, and I ran the Asia-Pacific division. And um, I, I moved there in 1997 by myself. I built a business. I hired staff. We had several offices in the region. Everything was going well. SARS hits 2002-2003. And we used to have, uh, every, every two weeks, we'd have a management call with all the heads of the divisions and the and the uh, management and head office, um, we discussed various issues that we all faced. And I remember uh, telling the group that, you know, at the time, you know, a lot of companies were evacuating staff and, you know, what was going on with SARS. And I'll never forget, one of the senior executives said, said to, you know, after I mentioned the evacuation, um, he said, no, you should stay there. And I remember thinking, and 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 also uh, nobody else said anything after that. So I remember, I remember thinking that, you know, the company was happy for me to be there and make money for them, but in a crisis, they were happy for me to stay there so that they can protect themselves. And you know, all these years later, I never forgot that. And that's and that's probably why they're a they're a former employer right now. Um, having said that, looking back, having stayed in Hong Kong during the SARS crisis, it was a great learning experience. I stayed with my staff. I supported my local team. 
I made sure that we were safe and I had masks and, you know, all the things you need to do to protect yourself during this, uh, during a crisis like this. Um, but I think the main thing we all need to remember is that we will get past the coronavirus. And in my opinion, it's an opportunity to strengthen our relationship with the second, second biggest economy in the world so that both countries can continue to prosper. Can you share a bit of your perspective on everyday life in China today? What's the latest you're hearing from your network? Yeah, you know, having talking to um, contacts and colleagues in, in China and having gone through this in SARS, there's a number of things that companies do. Of course, you can do telecommuting. Um, another thing that we did during SARS is we staggered the work hours so that staff could come to work when it's not so busy, not during rush hours, so you have flexible hours. Um, you know, of course, manufacturing is an issue because, you know, people have to get the factory and make the products, you know, that, that other to sell that other people are going to assume like Apple, you know, people have to go to the Foxconn factories in order to make the iPhones, you know, for an order and Apple sell. So there'll be a, I think there'll be a hit in, in, in terms of the manufacturing sector, but for the services sector, you know, you, you do see telecommuting, um, I've also heard in China how, you know, they, they are letting, you know, one person from the household go out for a few hours to buy things in the store. So, so even now, you know, you're, you're seeing to see, you're starting to see more activity, more people going back to work. Um, so I think it will get better over time, but there are strategies you can put in place. Um, it, it, China was at a standstill for a while, and I think they're just starting to get back into it. So I think we'll hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll get past it. It's interesting, Lawrence, because I think you've just demonstrated to us that over two decades of experience living in China means a lot of interesting insights and really getting to know the culture and the people and the business environment and the intricacies that come with doing business in China. And so I'm curious, you know, just briefly, can you tell us what changes have you seen in the time that you've been living in China? Um, I think in terms of, um, you know, business and, and understanding consumer is the Chinese consumer is much more savvy um, than they than they were when I first came into the market. Um, Chinese people are traveling more. Chinese people are, um, uh, you know, more educated about what's happening around the world and you're dealing with a very sophisticated consumer um, you're dealing with a consumer that's even like here that's influenced by social media um, that's influenced by influencers in key opinion leaders or influencers are very important in China like they are here so I think the big change in terms of the consumer is you're dealing with a much more savvy consumer and you're also dealing with much more local competition. Um, you know, it used to be where you go, you know, companies go into China and they wouldn't have any local competitors. For example, you know, a Nike would go into China and there really weren't any big sports apparel companies uh, in China for them to compete with. Now, now there's uh, leaning and um, uh, 360, 361, there's local competitors um, that have very high quality products. So it's not just the, you know, you're waltzing in and, you know, everybody's going to, you know, make a, make a door to you. Um, everybody's going to run to purchase your products. It's, you know, you're going to be facing local competitors. So it's, it's uh, an evolved consumer. Um, the competitors are evolved and it's a much more dynamic um, environment 
than before. But it also, in a way, it's a lot easier. Setting up companies there is a lot easier. Um, the Chinese, to be fair, have done a lot in terms of regulation and making it easier for foreigners to set up companies in China. So from an operations standpoint, it's gotten a lot easier. Logistics have gotten a lot easier. There's there's new airports, there's high-speed trains, there's roads, there's, you know, the, it's easier to move around and get things done uh, than before. So in, in a way, it's harder in the sense that, you, you know, the consumer is a lot smarter and the competitors are a lot smarter on the ground in China, um, but also it's gotten easier in terms of the regulatory environment in terms of the, the rules and what you need to do to set up your business in China. Dix, what advice do you have for businesses looking to kind of jump into the Chinese market and take advantage of the current situation? Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies want to jump into China. Um, and, and you should. You should look into China. It's the second biggest economy on earth, and, and you can't ignore China. Or if you ignore it, your competitors probably won't ignore it, and then you're at a disadvantage. Um, but, you know, I always tell clients, you know, first of all, you know, take a breath. And um, I think the most important thing before you enter the China market is do as much research as possible to understand the market in general, understand your industry in particular, and understand how Chinese consumers make purchase decisions within your industry. And this is really where AI can help because it can give you the insights you need to help craft your market entry strategy before you go in or improve your existing China market strategy if you're already in China. Um, and the there's three key points I always tell clients before entering the China market. First of all is uh, copy and paste strategies from your home country will probably not work in China. Um, second, um, you need to adapt to China and China's not going to adapt to you. It's a very unique market and you, you need to change your thinking before you go in. And third, um, China, China moves very fast and most companies that I, most companies that I've seen that fail in China is because they fail to not move as quickly as they need to to make decisions and take advantage of opportunities. Um, for example, you know, traditionally Western companies have relied on market research surveys and social listening to understand consumers' purchasing behavior. But in China, that's probably not going to give you the insights you're looking for because you probably cannot cover all the cities you need to effectively do your surveys. Um, and it's also a slow process that does not allow for changes in uh, market sentiment or trends. So often companies are too slow to generate the insights into a rapidly changing Chinese consumer trends. So um, in an ultra dynamic, vast and fast changing Chinese marketplace, it requires a sophisticated data-driven management approach and working with a partner in China to help you set up your AI solution can help you hit the ground running or improve your existing strategies. And also just to tie this into digital policy, you really want to make sure that you got your digital policies right because, for example, companies are not allowed to transfer data outside China or critically sensitive data or consumer data. You're not allowed to transfer that data outside China. So you want to make sure you have your digital policy right and have your parameters right so you don't have staff doing things that can put you at risk. 
So that's great because I think a lot of times people see opportunity and they don't consider the risk. And I'm all about balancing those two things out. So I'm wondering, you know, when a business is looking to take that leap into China, it sounds like the best approach is to find a local partner. And so what is your advice for companies that are looking to partner with somebody? What should they be looking for? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think for such a complex market, you really uh, need what I tell clients is you really need to look for someone a that you can trust, um, someone who understands the China market, um, who understands your industry and, and can help you navigate the complexities of the Chinese market. And also somebody who's really going to tell you the truth of what's happening on the ground. And it's not just going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, you also really want to make sure that if you have a partner that you have access to the end consumer yourself, because in any market, you know, you really need to, your customer is going to tell you everything you need to know to succeed as long as you're willing to listen and learn and adapt. So having the access to the end consumers, if you're working with any partner in China, you want to make sure that you have access to the end user, the end consumer, so that you can listen to them and that you can hear yourself. What are the consumers saying about your product in China? And then you're able to adjust your strategy as you go along. Those are some really great tips. I'm wondering, um, you know, just as the business then prepares to kind of enter the market, they're looking for perhaps a partner in the marketplace as well. Is there a specific sort of phased approach that you would recommend or should people leap first and then start planning? Like what what should they prioritize? What is step one if they say, oh, China seems like a natural market for me? What are they looking to do first? Yeah, I think, um, and that's another great question. I think, I think the, the, the first question is to know thyself, <laughs> um, to know, you know, really what are you looking to achieve in the China market? So are you looking to, to invest and, and be there for the long term and build long term brand loyalty? Or are you just looking to get in some short term gains and then get out? So I think it's knowing what, what are your expectations? What are you looking to get out of the Chinese market first? So understanding where where you're at and, and where your company's at and where you want to be in, in, in this effort in entering the China market. Um, and based on the above answer, you know, what resources do you need to allocate to achieve those goals? So, you know, who are the people in your organization who you're going to assign to those goals and why? And do they have, do you have the internal resources to navigate the China market, or do you need to bring in a trusted advisor who can help you from the outside navigate into China? Um, and then it's really about just doing as much homework as you can, doing as much advanced research as you can, and, and either either by yourself, by literally you know going to China and doing the research yourself, or by working with a trusted advisor. And some of the things I always tell clients that we look for is to understand the China market landscape in general, it's a big market. There's a lot of provinces. North China is very different than South China. So just know the landscape in general as to you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, how does your industry operate in China? You know who who are the who are the key players in your industry? Who are the influencers in your industry? Um, some other things to consider are who are your potential customers and who are your potential competitors. 
Um, what does the regulatory environment look like? And this is really important because uh, in, in some industries, it's heavily regulated. Some industries, you can't just go in on your own. You must have a Chinese partner. So you need to understand, you know, your industry and, and how is your industry regulated in China so that you can operate effectively. Also, what are the legal requirements for operating your business? Um, you know, going in and setting up, do you, do you legally need to have a partner? What type of business entity do you have um, and how you're going to navigate that and what legal support do you need? Um, what resources do you need on the ground in China? What people do you need to execute your plans? Um, another key question is, is how do you get your money out of China? Um, China's currency um, is, is, is regulated. The currency exchange is regulated. So the first, middle, and last question of everything that you do in China, or at least what I tell my clients are, how do you get your money out of China? And you need to think about that before you go into China, because a lot of what you do is revolves around how you get your money out of China. Another important question is, you're on the ground in China, you run into trouble, Who's going to help you out? You know, who are you going to go to if you run into a jam with your partner or on your own? You know, what sort of support system do you have, whether it's a trusted advisor or other people in your industry or, you know, even friends that you know um, that you have a support system? You know, if you go in on your own, you're on your own. If you have a support system set up as you go in, then you have other people to go through for advice and support And if you run into a jam. Um, and then in the end, what is your exit strategy? Um, you know, going in, you have to think about getting out. If it's long term, well, maybe you're building a business, you want to sell it, you want to, you know, how, how do you how do you see your exit strategy? And thinking about it that in advance can be helpful. You have spent nearly two decades now in China. In that time, AA marketing has become a critical business competency. Can you share with listeners how Chinese consumers tend to interact with AI marketing and what expectations do they have, if any? Yeah, um, you know, AI in China is is uh, very different than other markets, um, mainly for two reasons. It, it has a lot more depth and breadth because firstly, AI is a development priority for the Chinese government. So therefore, there's a lot of support from the government. There's a lot of investment from the government. It's a high priority for them, AI in, in general. I think half of all AI companies are in China now. Um, so there's a lot of government support for AI, and which is needed in China for any major initiative to, to get that off the ground. And also another key point is, is how... Um, the top three tech companies in China use AI. And those top three companies namely are Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, collectively known as BAT. Um, and they have a lot more data points to feed into their AI algorithms than you might see in other countries. So for example, you know, Alibaba is the largest e-commerce platform in China. They have Taobao and Tmall which is similar to Amazon. Um, they have uh, Alibaba has Alipay, which is uh, similar to PayPal. And they have the largest online video platform called Yoku, which is similar to Netflix. So what Ali, Alibaba will do is they'll feed in all the data points from all these different platforms into their AI algorithms to better understand the consumer and better understand purchasing behavior in China. So the depth and breadth of uh, AI in China is a lot different than you might see elsewhere. And for most people who are interested in persevering and making the leap into China, 
maybe they want to uh, reach out to you and get additional information or they want to ping a business idea across your desktop, what would you say is the best way to reach you? Uh, the best way to reach me is to go to my website, asiaadvisors.com. That's A-S-I-A-D-V-I-S-E-R-S.com, asiaadvisors.com, and uh, connect with me there. Great. Thank you so much with uh, today with all of that information, Lawrence, for being with us and sharing generously all of your insights. I appreciate it. And I know my listeners do, too. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Lawrence. Thank you for joining the Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.